Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast all over the WWWs. We are the dogs, as we were, as we will be, and as we are. We are the defenders of government schools. Do government schools need defending in Australia? Yes. Yeah, they do. It's a sad thing because you would imagine that the government would be defending government schools. But it turns out it's really never been that simple. And it's certainly not that simple now. There's some extraordinary things happening in these covidness times. Um, it really does show in many ways that the idea of Australia as an educationally fair or egalitarian, remember that word, a fair go? Yeah, all of that's gone by the wayside. All of that's gone by the wayside since this COVID thing's hit. There are independent schools, there are private schools, there are public schools. Public schools have got to do this, they've got to do that, they've got to do this, they've got to do that. Private schools, I know, they'll they'll do what they like. Because the political reality is in Australia, public schools are funded by the public and do what the government has to say. They are they are mandated and accountable to all of us. However, the private school system is accountable to nothing but itself. And we'll be talking about this because even the government is doing all sorts of ridiculous things like making sure that private school children get appropriate hygiene and ignoring public school students. I mean, who would have thought such a silly thing? But we'll be investigating this in detail through the program because... These are serious issues, even though we're all in lockdown and here at 3CR we're all in our remote bunkers broadcasting on the ether through the, through the glories of the internet. Um, that's what we have to be doing, but it is a fight that needs to continue. Um, here on the Dogs Program we'll be highlighting many um, educational issues from here and abroad, but as always we start with Gene's world famous press release. Press release number 842. And it relates to many of these issues that I've just talked about briefly there at the beginning of the show. But Jean says that Australia is now in the world of the egalitarian myth. We are living in a world where what we think we are is just a shadow. It's just an echo of what it was that we thought we were. Um, and the myth of Australian egalitarianism is indeed in tatters. Um, Jean, perhaps you can... You can tell us more because it's now time for Jean's world famous press release number 842. Thank you, Robert. The Australian egalitarian myth, it's in tatters. A new study has shown that the social composition of schools in Australia strongly influences school results. Now, thanks to the current stratified educational system in Australia, a child's chances of educational success, not to mention their social and economic opportunities, depends on their parents' bank balance and the place of residence. It also, in part, depends on the parents' educational level. Now, this equality of opportunity rhetoric, which has been around at least since the 1960s, not to mention the reality of Australian elites, is really in tatters. We have tried, there have been needs policies put up by various Labor governments 
but they have all failed, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But the worrying thing is that even the rhetoric is under attack from conservative educationalists who insist that genetic factors trump environmental influences. If you've got a clever child, a clever child is a clever child. The fact that most of the children who do well in our school system and go to university come from well-heeled backgrounds, they say, is not relevant. They also say that the billions provided by governments in the name of disadvantage have been wasted. They don't mention, of course, that a lot of the billions that have come from the central government and the state government did not, in fact, go to disadvantaged children. Quite the reverse. They went the other way. Now, researchers and academics have produced evidence and attempted to influence policy. But in the final analysis, it gets down to basics. What are the effects of inequality on the educational opportunities, not to mention the social, health and economic well-being of our nation? And there's now a great deal being written about all of this all around the world. Um, and there's a lot of data up on various world websites. The OECD is involved in this, as is a group of um, academics all around the world who put their facts and figures up on the World Inequality Database. And this has been used by a gentleman called Thomas Piketty, who's written two very interesting books, the latest one being inequality, about um, capitalism and ideology. But we'll leave that for a moment. We'll go on to talk about what this latest research is in Australia. Now, the Conservatives have believed and still believe and try to make us believe that inequality is a good, healthy thing because it encourages competition. And it also encourages people to work hard so they can be like a billionaire. But progressives who have um, questioned this ideology, if you like, have wished to ameliorate the disadvantage of our children in Australia in the last 50, 60 years. But they have been unable to persuade the well-off that they care not only about elite institutions for their own children, but also about schools for the rest. And this helps to explain why social democratic parties like our Labor Party, if you could call it that these days, have also become the parties of the education elite. Now, in view of the failure to develop a just and transparent set of educational policies, promoting schools that are open to all children, schools that are free, secular and universal and curricular offerings, none of this is surprising. And we're, leaving, we're now living in the results of it. But Trevor Cobald of Save Our Schools has done some extensive work on this. And he says that there's a lot of research evidence 
of the impact of family background on student results. And he refers to the uh, work that's been done in the United States, the United Kingdom, the OECD, and also in Australia. And he says that these show that a school's socioeconomic composition affects whereby students attending schools with a high concentration of students from poor families tend to have lower results than students from similar backgrounds attending schools with a high proportion of students from well-off backgrounds. And there's a double jeopardy effect for students from low socioeconomic status, that's the SES that you often hear about, in those families because they tend to be disadvantaged because of their circumstances at home but when they are also segregated at school into low SES schools, they're likely to fare even worse. So as a result, increasing social segregation between schools tends to lead to worse results for low SES students and it widens the achievement gap between the high SES and low SES students. And this this actual, it's, it's really common sense um, research, common sense view of the world. If you put a whole lot of poor students together in a poor school, which is poorly um, resourced, then they're not going to do as well as they would in a school where there are also wealthy children or children from wealthy backgrounds, which is well resourced. That's just common sense. But the conservatives in Australia and, in fact, in America and the UK argue against it, would you believe? And there's a significant issue is that one of the methods called residualised change models, which are used by a man called Marx, who is a conservative researcher, and others to analyse the effect of the SEC includes measures of prior achievement at both the student and school level to allow estimation of the effects of other variables. Now, this is um, fairly technical statistical talk here, um, so I'm going to hand it over to Robert to draw out the distinctions in the actual research done by the Conservatives who want to say that um, disadvantaged children are not disadvantaged uh, when they are in schools which are under-resourced, and uh, those who argue otherwise, the more progressive researchers. Uh, and the Australian research that is being done is mainly being done, not in Victoria, not at Melbourne University, but over in Western Australia at Murdoch University. But, Robert, over to you. You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast all on your WWWs. Um, we'll be back with more, um, and I will actually fill in because this stuff from Marx is really disturbing. Oh, it's a bit, well, I find it disturbing because once you start talking about genetic factors and dispositions of poor people, you get into very 19th century territory, sort of pre Dickensian ideas about 
the poor, the, the worthy poor, but you don't feed them too much meat because they get too many calories and expands their brains, and then they get troubles. But anyway, I'm I'm jumping ahead. We'll have more dogs program after this. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times, and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone, and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other. and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to The Dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial. It's good to have you back. Uh, Jean in her press release was alluding to some research done in Western Australia by a man called Gary Marks. 
Now, Gary Marx disagrees with the PISA studies. He disagrees with the OECD. And he says quite, 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 quite straight up, he says that the impact of the SES, like the postcode in Australia, or, or the wealth of the parents, is a weak relationship when it comes to um, correlation with results, which is to say that um, it doesn't matter if a student is rich or poor um, in terms of their uh, school marks. But he says it does matter if you're smart or if you're dumb. If you're dumb, you get poor marks, and if you're smart, you get good marks. And there is a very strong correlation between poor people and stupid people. So stupid people are poor, and poor people are stupid. So it's not that poor people don't do well in school, it's that stupid people don't do well in school. Now, I am oversimplifying his ideas. However... To use his words, he claims that low SES students have lower intelligence and that you can't do much about SES. So as an educationalist, you can't do much about how much income um, parents uh, earn. And so therefore, because low SES students have lower intelligence, that's just something you have to deal with on the curve. When I say the curve, I mean the statistical curve. I can hope, ladies and gentlemen in Radio Land, you can picture this curve where in the middle are most people of average intelligence or above or below. That's the whole point of the word average really, isn't it? And then there's a, a small number of people who are really clever and then there's a small number of people who really struggle um, when it comes to um, doing well on tests and what they would say, really struggling in terms of IQ tests. Gifted students. Youth studies, which are academic studies that are used by private schools, organisations and independent schools Victoria. You know, this, this, this idea that low SES students have lower intelligence and the advocates such as Kevin Dodd going to claim that there is no case, there is no reason to give more money or additional funding or better classroom or better resources disadvantaged schools because it won't change anything because they're poor and because they're poor they're stupid. Now I was talking about pre-Dickensian stuff before the break and I find this extraordinary. Now a new study from Australian academics from Murdoch University, as Jim was saying before, which are published in the British Journal of Sociology of Education conclusively actually debunks this claim by Marx, by Gary Marx, that school composition has a negligible effect on student achievement. It shows that the statistical methods used by Marx are very unlikely to detect significant SES effects, and it says that the methods he uses actively remove variance in result for accountability for school composition. Now, what this means, dearest listeners, is that if you set up a questionnaire that asks the right questions, you'll get answers that will answer the questions you ask. And what he has done, and I know sociology researchers and education researchers, they use surveys all over the place because that's the technology that's current at the moment. So if you don't ask the right questions about how much money your daddy and mummy earn, or your carers, or the people who are your foster carers, or the people 
who care for you in one way or the other, because when you come from a poor and impoverished background, the idea of nuclear families goes way out the door. There's usually a couple of grandparents and an extended support network involved in your upbringing. Um, if you don't ask the right sort of questions, you're not going to get the right sort of answers. And Gary Marks has been shown in, as I say, his research has been debunked because he just hasn't asked the right questions. He has, of course, asked questions about IQ scores. So if you ask questions about IQ scores and you go to a school of impoverished students who aren't doing very well, and by the way, IQ scores have been debunked as well. We, we just dealt with that in the DOGS program about a month ago. They were used in America during the First World War to try and weed out the officer class from a culture in America at the time that didn't have an aristocracy. Um, the English had no trouble working out who their officer class were because they had an aristocracy. The Americans didn't actually have one, so they tried to do it in a more egalitarian way. And they used this thing called the intelligence quotient back in um, 1913. Um, and it doesn't really stand up anymore as far as I'm concerned. And most um, psychological researchers don't use intelligence quotients at all. But I'm straying from the point. The point is that Gary Marks is saying that, well, it doesn't really matter what school you go to. It doesn't really matter if you give more resources to poor people. They're still going to be poor, and because they're poor, they're stupid. Now, my argument is this. If competition is good, if you are a free marketeer, if you are a neoliberal theologian and you say, Competition is good in all situations, and the best and most effective and efficient way of ordering the marketplace of education, and let's just say that you agree with that, which I do not, just by the way, let's just say that you do, then what you have is you have a situation where you have a school with almost exclusively wealthy, the the children of wealthy people, and within that school you have Within that school, you have competition for who does well and who does better. There is, a, there, is a, there is a gradation. There are people who win. There are people who lose. But at a school like that, nobody really loses because you have people who do well or people who do better. Because in that situation, if you don't do well, then, of course, you can sue the school because you haven't got your, haven't got your money's worth because it's obviously an expensive place to go. If you go to a school that's poorly resourced and full of students who come from lowest backgrounds, you have a different set of variances, which is to say that you can do okay or you can fall apart and drop out. And so, yes, you have competition in the marketplace, but if you segregate the marketplace into the poor market and the rich market, yes, you have competition. Yes, you have winners and losers, but it means that poor students can never win. They can only just scrape over the line. Um, and in my situation, this is something that Gary Marks and his help, including to Kevin Donnelly, just do not visit at all. Now, a significant issue is that one of the methods, and by the way, these, these methods have names, it's called residualized change models, used by Marx and others to analyse the effects of income, includes measures of prior achievement at both student and school level, to our estimation of the effect of other variables. So the problem with this approach is that it removes all effects or factors such as the resources of the school, the SES of the students they go with and the schools, 
the parental involvement measures, for instance, how involved parents are in the education of the child, that's not measured by Marx. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about teaching practices. And he doesn't care about anything that relates to prior achievement that has brought the child to the school in a situation where they're getting a test in the first place. It's absolutely bankrupt as far as I'm concerned. So if you're trying to work out what effect an education is going to have on a child and you're going to look at their income, but you're not going to look at the parental involvement in education, then the results you're going to get are going to be that rich kids are smart and poor kids are stupid. If you don't, they don't even look for the things that are important. And we know that parental involvement is one of the most, one of the most highly correlated things with, with student success. If you have parents that care about their child's education and spend time and effort and energy and either pay for tutors or tutors themselves because they love their kids and education is such an important thing, that matters. But Marx doesn't care. Marx doesn't measure that. Marx doesn't talk about those things because that's not what Marx is interested in. I think you have to mention, Robert, that this Marx is M-A-R-K-S, not M-A-R-S. There okay. is a big difference. So it's, um, yeah, it's Gary Marx. M-A-R-K-S is actually going back. Um, it's, it's arguable whether I'm a Marxist in either situation. Now, I'm going to talk more about this because there's, there's some comments on this, 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 this particular research I'd like to share. But for now, I think we should just have a little break. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and, and, of course, podcast on the WWWs. You're listening to my voice as I am holed up in the covidinous world, still in isolation. 3CR is slowly opening up. They're painting the place now for when we all get back to the studio and the, and, and the world gets back to, back to right, which is nice. And um, they're slowly letting people back in this chair, but not me. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too covidinous. Um, and it's not likely that 3CR will be getting back to normal any time soon because this whole question of this fellow called Gary Marks, he's talking about genetic predispositions for succeeding on tests and those genetic predispositions being correlated with how much money your parents earn. And this data is being used by the Victorian, um, by, by the Victorian Independent Schools Association to justify the funding that they get from the federal government. I find that slightly more than disturbing. I find that really kind of strange. Because the methods he's using are excluding all the other possible effects you can have. Another method he uses is called fixed effects models where Marx and other contemporaries, sort of right-wing educationalists, um, employ to analyse the impact of SES found, and found, it also found very small effects. However, this method removes stable differences between students as it directed at analysing the impact of changes in individual characteristics over time. So it focuses on particular individuals who are in unstable relationships um, with the school and their families and say, well, you know, poorer people have a tougher time of it, which is why they don't do well at school. So therefore, poorer people are 
And how you get to genetically predisposed to be stupid, I'm not quite sure. But this is where they're going. They are taking out the potential effects of anything to do with redemption, anything to do with an egalitarian idea, anything to do with providing an equality of opportunity. Now, I'm going to say that again because that's an important phrase in this debate. The opportunity to learn is equal amongst all students in Australia. At no point am I saying that all students are winners. At no point am I saying, do all students like school? At no point am I saying, do all students succeed brilliantly at school? But what I am saying is that all students require the opportunity to succeed. And what Marx and Donnelly are saying, no, it's a waste of money to provide a quality of opportunity. You don't want to spend money on poor kids and their schooling because they won't do any better anyway. Take that money and make the rich kids a little bit smarter because going to school for rich kids is is obviously a particular benefit. This goes back in many ways to Menzies, who referred to children in state schools as the hewers of wood. Um, and the cutters, yes, the cutters of wood and the drawers of water. Peasants. Um, it's an 18th century idea. And of course, he himself was a scholarship to Scots. Um, so the, the meritocracy idea isn't, isn't good enough either, you know. Uh, I, I find it quite extraordinary that these people regard our children in this way and that they have already... Oh, I find it more than extraordinary. ...children it is pre- uh, before they get to school. It is, hmm. it is shocking that yes. these ideas are part of Australia's policy makeup. It's absolutely shocking. If you were to, if you were to proffer these ideas... In a civilised country in Northern Europe, they would just laugh you out of the house and say, oh, you're just wasting your population's educational ability. You're just wasting everyone's time. Now, I have to say to you now that there are, I'm talking about this and I'm shocked about this with so many other people. In fact, it, it, it is a fundamental divide. And I want to talk a little bit about how this relates actually to the broader world of we're in lockdown for the benefit not of ourselves, but other people. Education, as well as what we're doing in our world, is is about surviving together. And what these people, these Marxist people, these Greek Marxists and these Donnellys are saying, is the exact opposite. Now, uh, there's a few comments, and I'm, I'm a bit sick of my voice because I get quite upset about this. I'm going to throw now to Dale, our producer, who's going to share with us um, the words of Kevin Donnelly and some other people who have some significant opinions about this that I think are worth hearing. So with one thing and another, Dale, it's over to you. Thanks, Rob. Yes, I've got some responses. Kevin Donnelly says to Trevor, my argument has consistently been that the impact of a student's SES on educational outcomes is not as large as many in Australia argue. And yes, I often refer to the research by Gary Marks, but I also refer to others. The reality is that the billions spent over the last 20 to 30 years to address disadvantage has failed to lift standards. 
proving that overemphasizing SES as a factor is a waste of time and money. So then Lisa says, our family would be classified as being in a high SES ICSIA group, and most of our family and friends send their kids to top private and selective schools. However, we allowed our kids to choose their own school and they all attend our local primary and high schools, which serve a mix, a mixed SES population, official ICSIA value of 1008, which is middle of the range. Our eldest completed high school at 16 with a top band, with top band marks in all seven subjects, advanced English, math, extension one and two, physics, chem, bio, and F. She received offers to study at all of her first choice med schools in each state. Our son has achieved several perfect scores in NAPLAN and numeracy and scored 98 in HSC advanced maths last year at 14 in year nine. He is placed third nationally in the AIMO and accepted invitations to both AMT School of Excellence and AMT Selection School. He is also a state level athlete in several running and field events. The following are what I believe have enabled him to succeed. One, parents who value academia and are able to afford essential resources. For example, many families at our school cannot afford to buy books and rely on loans from the school, which has only a limited number of copies required of the required reading materials. So, Classes take turns with each set of books, rotating each term. This means that by the end of the year exams, students often have not had access to some relevant materials for several months. By spending a relatively paltry sum compared to private school fees, we ensure that our kids have access to educational resources they require. We also have made donations to enable purchases of class sets of books. Two. Several excellent teachers at their school, including a few who have previously taught at selective schools, are able to identify and support gifted students. The maths head teacher sourced an online maths program which enables students to work at their own pace, even finishing the year 10 curriculum in year 7. But at $72 per student, most families could not afford to subscribe. So she sourced a different program, which costs $12 per student. Three, digital media, which allows self-directed learners to look up almost anything on the internet. Four, time saved by not having to commute to a distant private school or selective school. Saving one hour trip per trip adds up to 2,400 hours over six years of high school, which is a very significant amount, noting some students have even longer commutes. Therefore, whilst my kids thrived at our local schools, under current funding arrangements, some students there undeniably suffer due to socioeconomic disadvantage. And then Jean says, the needs policy of the last 60 years have all failed because, one, the wealthy in Australia do not wish to pay taxes for the education of other people's children. Two, the terms of reference of both Carmel and Gonski meant that they had to be sector blind and that the wealthy had to be ameliorated before any crumbs 
could come down to the poor. Three, the state school interests were bought out with a few millions in the 1970s, while the Catholic system rorted the system. The religious schools have, certainly since 1973, selected children and channeled government funds given for the poor to either new needy schools or schools for their elite. If anyone objected to this in the period 1973 to 2010, they were labelled sectarian. But the numbers are now on the My School website and even Turnbull has recently exposed their hypocrisy. The situation has been exacerbated by the neoliberal orthodoxy which has put education into the marketplace, not of ideas, but into a strange financial marketplace laid up in heaven since the 1980s. The interesting statistics are those being developed by the WID, World Inequality Data Website. For those, those for Australia are limited, but some comparisons can be made with the other Western democracies as well as China and Russia. The inequities in Australia, in Australian education, particularly since the 1980s, can be seen as part of a broader worldwide pattern. And if you read Piketty's last tome, you can also see how ideology has played a crucial part. Religious schools and their production of those born to rule go back into into a previous time, a time when clerics, nobles and the third estate, those whom Menzies referred to as woodchoppers, ran European countries. They are an anomaly in our Australian democracy. Or are they? What kind of society will our children inherit? And that's actually the question that we have to ask ourselves, which is why we're here. We're here to answer that question. The answer is the question where every child in Australia has an equal opportunity to succeed in the 21st century, where the education of our population is our greatest natural resource. And the more we live in these covidness times, the more we realise that what we have to give the world is ourselves. Not necessarily our barley or our, certainly not our manufacturing at the moment, um, but it is the education that we have inherent in ourselves such that our creativity as a nation can be released um, into a more successful process. At the moment, we are feudalising. If you listen to Marx, we are, we are going back to an even pre-industrial situation. The, the diggers and, and, and carters of water and hewers of wood. Oh, I don't, no, I don't want to hew any wood. Nobody does. It's no longer necessary. We've moved on, Mr. Menzies. Anyway, I think we'll pause for a bit of music and then we'll be back with the dogs program here on 3CR. To help stop the spread of viruses like flu and coronavirus, good hygiene is essential. That starts with washing your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds whenever you cough, sneeze or blow your nose. Prepare food or eat. Care for someone sick, touch your face or use the toilet. Together, we can help stop the spread and stay healthy. Visit health.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR855 on the AM dial and podcast all over the WWWs. So if you're listening to us at um, 3CR.org.au, you are very welcome. If you're listening to us on the 855 on the AM dial, you're very welcome. And, of course, you might be listening through our own website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Now, we've been, I've been talking about sort of some 18th century world of education where rich people are rich and smart and poor people are poor and stupid, but with any luck, they're happy and grateful. It's some strange sort of... Oh, I don't, anyway, having discovered this research, it's just made me think, is this really reflected or is this just some academic you know, wandering up and down the corridors of his own mind uh, making up some ideas from some right-wing think tank about how poor people are inherently stupid and he would know because he's not poor and he's not stupid. It happens to be a he most of the time. Um, well, does this play out, does this play out in, in, in the sort of national funding arrangements? And of course, very quickly we discover in these covidinous times there is a very strange and interesting thing playing out. Firstly, uh, Geelong Grammar's not coming back to school. Oh, no. The children of the real wealthy and the rich and the famous and the great and the good, no, they're not coming back to a plague school. No, not now. Not now. No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. We have the resources to do remote learning, and they do. And they do. They have classes, children, at those schools, Trinity, Scots, St. Kevin's, John Grammar, MLC, PLC, all of these children sit there and they have classes just the same way they would at school, except it's at home, and they are face-to-face with their teachers. They get the resources. It's just that it's all physically online. They are sitting there looking at each other, talking to each other, educating each other, having a nice time. They don't necessarily, they're not going to come back into the world of the plague. Oh, no. Like Boccaccio's to Cameron, the great and the good shall separate themselves off for as long as they need to to feel comfortable. State schools. Yeah, they've got to come back in two weeks' time. Got to have to, yeah, because workers have got to work and, you know, schools have got to school. And, yeah, state schools, that's a completely different business. Not for the rich and the folk. In fact, this is, this is playing out not just in Australia, but in, in, in what we used to call the motherland in the UK. Up to 15,000 English primary schools are defying the government and not reopening, or not planning to reopen on the 1st of June. The government has insisted that state schools, not oh, not not private schools, oh, no, 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 not what they call the greater public schools, oh, no, no, not those, but state schools have to reopen. And up to 1,500 in the UK, you know, the birthplace of the class system, from our point of view, they're going, uh, no. No, we're not doing that. Cambridge ain't coming back. Eaton's not coming back. So we ain't coming back neither. It's not good enough for you. It's not good enough for us. But even in Australia, where the independent schools say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not letting our children out of the world to play just yet. Thank you very much. State schools, off you go. You can be the canary in the mine for us. The federal government, as part of this process, has offered $10 million to private schools 
and only private schools to fund special hygiene arrangements so that when the kids do get back to school at private schools, they shall have as clean a school as possible. The Morrison government on the 15th of May provided a special deal just to private schools and it's called it hygiene function, hygiene funding. Federal government announces next of $10 million to private schools only to improve COVID-19 hygiene measures such as providing soap, hand sanitizer and extra cleaning from extra cleaners because the children of the wealthy must survive. Is there any extra money being provided to the state school system? That is, the children of 60% of the population of the country, because that's how many people go to state schools here in Australia? No. Federal government says, oh, no, that's not for us to do. Oh, no, 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 that's not for the federal government to do. We don't care enough to do that. It's just the private school students. It just doesn't make now, any sense. How can they give money to, how can they say it's necessary for one type of school and not necessary for another? It's just mind-boggling hypocrisy. It only makes sense if poor kids are stupid and rich kids are smart, like in the research. It only makes sense if we already have a class system. It only makes sense if we don't really have a democracy And poor people don't really care because they're tough and hardy and happy and, you know, all those things that poor people are. You know, when they go off to hew their wood and and cut their wood or something. I don't even know what that's weird. Now, of course, the National Catholic Education Commission thinks, oh, this is wonderful because they run private schools. And so, however, all the Catholics will survive plague with extra hygiene measures. But this is one of those bits where, I know Jean often says it, but I'm going to say it, the devil take the hindmost. The righteous shall inherit the hand sanitizer, and the devil take the hindmost. It's just weird. Sorry, I, I, I find this, it's all now become of a part. It's offensive. Now, if you really think about it, if you really, you really think about it, you also have to mention that private school teachers are more important than public school teachers. That that also is part of this because uh, they have to be protected with this sanitizer too. But public school teachers, of which there are a lot more, but they are well unionised, um, they have to be punished by not having uh, this provided. I find this extraordinary. Yeah. Is that, and also, of course, in, in a time of plague, you're dealing with a life and death issue. I'm pretty sure that the federal government, and I can hear them saying, they say, well, state schools aren't a federal responsibility, state schools are a state responsibility, so state government should cough up the money, not us. But it is extraordinary that the Morrison government continues to deny additional funding to public schools to help them with their response. Now, this is Karina Aethorpe, the AEU member. Now, the AEU, um, I just go, what on earth are you talking about? But I think this plays out through a much, much, much broader play of ideas. The world, the entire planet, 
and I'm going to be a bit harsh here, is at the moment in the grip of a pandemic. There is a disease that initially killed rich people, killed the wealthy, it killed the well-travelled. It killed them. It It didn't kill many children, but it killed older people and wealthy people. Now it is beginning to kill more people than just that. It is branching out. And people are being killed by this worldwide disease who are younger and poorer. Now, at a certain point, everyone panicked and the whole world shut down because rich, old people were dying. And now less so. And in a place like Australia, and this is being super harsh, and please feel free to call me and call me up on this, because I know many people who this is not true. People who die overseas matter less than people who die here. Now, people have died in Australia from this pandemic, and we have acted collectively, worked together, because the fundamental principle is that if we work together, I will survive by the good graces of my neighbour. I will live and thrive into the future because the person next to me is taking action on my behalf and I will do the right thing by them. This is a cooperative action. This is the big we. We will do this together. In the American context, it's we the people. Act for the benefit of not the majority, but everyone. In fact, it's not even a democratic idea. We have to work together if we are going to survive. But it's been going a while now. And there are people who are poor. And there are people who are poor who are not used to being poor. There are people who were wealthy four months ago and are now no longer wealthy. And they want to get their wealth back. And to get their wealth back, they need to break that idea apart. They need to separate the great we. They need to take that cooperation and make it competition. And to do that, the first thing you have to do is to separate out whose deaths are more important. Now, traditionally here in Australia, and again, I'm sorry to say this, people who die overseas are less important to us than people who die here. I would be disgusted in many cases. They say, there was a plane crash and three Australians died. And I'll go, but how many people died? they go, oh, 400. But the news was that three Australians died. This is proof positive that death is not equal. But what they're doing now in the schooling system is saying, whose deaths are more important? And the answer is, of course, rich people's deaths are more noteworthy. So we're going to put $10 million into schools that exclusively educate those people who can pay for education. We are going to make sure that all of the state schools open and the children are exposed in a way that is no longer together with everyone else. Private schools, oh, you do what you like. We'd like it if you did, but if you're not going to do it, too bad. Which is why I say to you, this is educational advice, I would send my child back to school the day that Geelong Grammar sends their children back to school because that will be the day 
the plague is over. That will be the day of the last page of Boccaccio's Decameron. That will be the day when we can all rejoice. That will be the day when it will be safe for we, the people. Which is who we represent here at the Dogs. We are the defenders of government schools and continue to be so. You can catch up with our ideas at our website, www.adogs.info, or indeed through the website, 3cr.org.au. Um, I say some different things, but it's definitely 3cr.org.au. <laughs> so don't be confused by me. That was the right thing to say. But from G, myself and Dale, um, until next week, it's bye for now. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community.
At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalized and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone, and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.